This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the story of the 2013 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. Now streaming only on Hulu. Hey, hey, I'm Brittany Luce, and you're listening to It's Been a Minute from NPR, a show about what's happening in our culture and why it doesn't happen by accident. Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift. Girl is having a year. We are talking new music, her massive world tour, and a tour film she's releasing this weekend, which I have some thoughts about that. We'll get to those later. But also, for the past few weeks, Ms. Taylor Swift has been taking over my social media feed, and I am not even a fan. Now, I've noticed something on this new-to-me Swift content. All of you Swifties keep asking the same question. And as a journalist, I felt like it was my job to do you a favor and find a public relations expert and get you your answer. Let's just come out and ask it. Molly, are Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey in a PR relationship? Yes. That was fast. But there is a (laughs) follow-up question to that. Is it also a real relationship? For weeks now, yours, mine, and everyone we know social feeds have been flooded with content about Taylor Swift and this Kansas City Chiefs football player, Travis Kelsey. Are they dating? I don't know. I don't know if I really care. But what we do know is that when Taylor Swift shows up at one of Travis Kelsey's NFL games, the two of them get a wild amount of attention. And Travis Kelsey on NBC's Sunday Night Football. Oh, and yeah... She's here. There's Taylor Swift and the VIPs who are here watching. Mike, back to Taylor Swift. The Taylor effect is real. Travis Kelsey gained almost 900,000 new followers on Instagram. But I do care about why this matters. We're talking about hundreds of millions of dollars here. Like, for example, Travis Kelsey's jersey has spiked in sales by 400% since Taylor started showing up at his games. Molly McPherson is a crisis public relations manager who has for a long time analyzed celebrity PR moves. The definition of public relations is the mutual benefit between an organization and its stakeholders. So in other words, an entity and their audience. So for Taylor, Mm -hmm. it's Taylor's fans. For Travis Kelsey, it's Chiefs fans. For the NFL, it's viewers, it's ratings. So many people are focused on the relationship itself. But when you expand that universe and now you look at the people who are making money from Mm -hmm. it, then you can see the mutual beneficial (laughs) relationship between (laughs) all of it. It's bringing women to the NFL. There you have it, folks. Yes, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey and really the NFL too are in a PR relationship regardless of if the three of them are in a romantic polycule. Now, Taylor has for decades used these PR relationships to her advantage. And today, Molly and I are getting into how Taylor and other celebrities like Sophie Turner and Joe Jonas to Barack and Michelle Obama utilize their partners and friends to communicate specific messages to you and me, the public. And spoiler All of this adds up to how you and me use PR strategies in our own lives. We're talking about those exes we see creeping on our Instagram stories. I see you. Molly, welcome to It's Been a Minute. I am thrilled to speak with you, Brittany, for more than a minute on this topic. (laughs) 
Okay, Molly, to start off, Taylor Swift and Travis Kelsey, by definition, are in a PR relationship, but aren't all celebrity relationships in some form or another PR relationships? Oh, absolutely. If you think about the what makes a celebrity, you know, what is the job of a celebrity or an artist? Their craft is certainly a big part of it, whether they're an actor, whether they're a singer, whatever it is. Uh, but the image also goes along with that. Hmm. So being a celebrity is all about the image that you're projecting out there. What kind of influence do you have? And publicists and celebrities know in order to be relevant, you need something to talk about. Hmm. And people love to talk about relationships. Mm, so you just got to find new ways to constantly make yourself a topic of the day without being the donkey of the day. Uh, oh, I love that. Yes, absolutely. And I <laughs> believe that Taylor Swift knows when there isn't a new song or a new album or a video or a red scarf, <laughs> she knows that Swifties will always talk about relationships. So how easy is it just to have them? <laughs> to give her fans something to talk about. When she sings a song, mm -hmm. she wants her fans to think of her singing about someone, whether it's good or not so good. Mm, and that's a really good way of deepening the universe of your songwriting and of your like songwriting lore outside of just your personal life. Mm -hmm. So, okay. As someone who watches and studies celebrity PR strategy, do you think Taylor and Travis are in a successful PR relationship? Oh, 100%. When you mm. are one of the top trending news stories and you have an entire organization that has likely stopped all of their digital campaigns, their advertising campaigns, and have shifted quickly the NFL to embrace this Taylor-Travis mm -hmm. relationship you know that that is a successful <laughs> public relations <laughs> relationship. I mean, think of all the adjacent moves that are happening around those two. It's quite remarkable hmm. what she's been able to pull off. This is the thing, though. Taylor doesn't necessarily need to be doing this. Mm -hmm. Like, she's so A-list and she's so omnipresent culturally which as you know, you've pointed out that there's strategy behind that and that's intentional. I don't know. It's not like Travis is helping her sell more vinyl variants or even Eras tour tickets or the Eras tour film that's coming out in theaters. Mm -hmm. She doesn't need help selling those tickets. And I, I wonder what is the PR benefit for Taylor Swift as somebody who's already so everywhere all the time? Technically, she doesn't need it. Mm -hmm. Why would someone like Taylor Swift need public relations? Well, it depends on what your objective is. I think what Taylor Swift likes and what she's drawn to is the relevance of it. Hmm. And when you think about ego and when you think about strategy, you think about the move of what she did to Kim Kardashian announcing Usher as the halftime show. Nobody was paying attention to that. Right. You know, I, that's a really interesting point. And that is something that had kind of been on my mind. Like, even though playing the Super Bowl halftime show, it doesn't pay. Yeah. <laughs> it still does feel like one of the big crown jewels in a global pop superstar's career. I had kind of wondered, I'm like, hmm, maybe that's something she's angling for. But I don't know, to that point, like- I don't think so. 
I think she wants to say, I'm beyond it. She wants to say, I can just be in the stands and I don't even need it. Yes. You're rolling out the announcement for your halftime show, which you're absolutely right, Brittany. That's a huge announcement. Like you get press just for the announcement. Yeah. Taylor Swift was able- Is like, all I have to do is go. She outmaneuvered the announcement. So she, even when Usher's performing, people, who are, who are they going to think of? They're going to think of Taylor Swift. Because she's been, the association is so strong for the entire season. Exactly. Oh yeah. my God. Uh-huh. It really Molly. is brilliant. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> ah, you've got a, you, you gagged me right there with that one. Oh my gosh. You know, I, I actually do think there is one thing that Taylor does get out of the NFL. I think you've talked about this before. By attending the NFL Chiefs Jets game, mm. <laughs> Taylor may have that may have done something for her in that it helped to bury her old stories on the environmental impact of her private jet yes. emissions. Yes. I mean, that's kind of smart when it comes to working SEO. So Brittany, here's the boomerang on it. The SEO story about is Taylor mm-hmm. Swift going to a Jets game to offset bad SEO from her jet emission stories also created more SEO. It brought it back to light because now everybody's talking about the jet emission story. But she did do that. She absolutely created a new keyword, Taylor Swift Jets game. There's more press from that jet football team than the jet emission story. Oh my gosh. Her mind. Yeah. (laughs) We've been focusing a lot on romantic PR relationships, but Those are not the only kind. You know, you can also use friendships to your advantage. Not to beat a dead horse. (laughs) I know. But Taylor Swift has done this over Over. and over again. Taylor was recently seen walking the streets with actress Sophie Turner holding hands. And that felt like a very pointed PR message because Sophie is, you know, currently going through this divorce that's become quite public with Joe Jonas, who also happens to be Taylor's ex-boyfriend. What do you make of friendship PR relationships? And do they do anything differently? Like, do they provide a different kind of benefit than PR romantic relationships? Well, they're no different. If you have to go back, why Taylor's so strategic? It's mutually beneficial for Sophie and for Taylor, when the whole Joe Jonas divorce narrative is spiraling out of control on his end, mm-hmm. she's being strategically silent, which absolutely benefited right. her. For the first response from Sophie Turner post-divorce to be imagery and content of walking out with Taylor Swift in a friendship move, and mm. not just Taylor Swift, but her soon-to-be ex-husband's former girlfriend, right? Right. So not only did Sophie get to poke a finger at Joe Jonas, so did Taylor Swift. It's all interwoven. And again, if you go to the definition, is it mutually beneficial? Oh my gosh. It wasn't just for Sophie. It also helped Taylor too. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. You know, the other thing I'll say about Taylor and her friendships Mm -hmm. is that like sometimes her public friendships have kind of skirted problematic lines. I'm thinking of earlier this year 
when she was allegedly dating the 1975's Matt Healy. Mm -hmm. And he had made some pretty nasty racist comments about the rapper Ice Spice, Mm -hmm. who is having just a wildly huge year. Mm -hmm. And not too long after that, Taylor had invited Ice Spice onto one of her songs, and Healy and Swift had allegedly broken up. Taylor and Ice Spice have since been seen together at award shows and on Taylor's tour. And I can't help but see that as a way for Taylor to skirt around, never having to actually talk about the racism that she had been so publicly close to. I mean, she never really acknowledged any of it. Uh, No, she didn't. That's where it truly cemented my views on how she can plot and predict where trouble is coming. You know, it was like a sidestep. But it was strategic, yeah. without a doubt. I'm not going to lie. I was a little like, ooh, this is very slick. Taylor. Yeah. <laughs> this is very slick. Yes. This is very, very right. slick. You know, to broaden it out a little bit, PR relationships don't just exist in pop culture. They're everywhere from business to politics. And I think the Obamas are a particularly great example mm-hmm. of how to effectively deploy relationships. Brock and Michelle are so good at performing their relationship. Mm-hmm. I mean, are there any other political relationships that you can think of where the general public believes the couple are really that supportive and in love with each other? It really does seem not, I don't even want to go so far to say like, oh, genuine love, but it's like so relatable. Like they just seem like a real couple. Mm. And that's why I love Michelle Obama because she's so honest about the ups and the downs. Mm -hmm. But now you compare it to a Donald Trump and Melania Trump. Now I can say that I have been in calls as, you know, working as a PR person for Uh people in the public and someone Uh saying, well, I don't want to appear like a Melania. I don't want to do a Melania on this. And that's huh. Chris like, well, what's a Melania? What does that mean to you? Right. What does that mean? And will not say anything and just stand there silent. Hmm. So one person's stoic is another person's silent, almost gag order, you know, that they can't say anything. Mm. But I think, wow, mm. isn't that interesting? Now, when I think of silence, I think of Sophie Turner, but now you have like a Melania. Yeah. I mean, when you said you were scrutinizing the Obamas, I think in my heart of hearts, I do think that they have a what appears to be a very genuine bond. Mm-hmm. But I also, though, know that they have a strong strategy that they have been fine-tuning and honing for a very long mm-hmm. time. Even I think back to one of Barack Obama's memoirs from before he was even president, and he was fairly frank about how aware he was about the optics around political marriages. He said that he knew to be successful as a black man in politics, that he would need to have a black wife. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that like he <laughs> was looking around and was just like, this woman mm-hmm. is going to be the one. Like I'm, I'm envisioning it. I do, like I said, think that they have what appears to be a genuine bond, mm-hmm. but it just goes to show how deeply public figures think about these mm-hmm. things, even for a relationship they seem very happy to be in. Oh, absolutely. So, I, I mean, I listened to the podcasts on them and read the books as well. And what draws me to Barack and Michelle, you know, again, is their honesty. And even from Michelle's point of view, you can just still see 
the bitterness that she had in those years. Mm. She gave up her career. She's home with right. the girls. Why Barack is right. the one who gets to ascend. And they're so open about the problems that they've had in mm -hmm. their relationship. And what they're able mm. to do is to lean in on that vulnerability. They're able to mm -hmm. tell that story where so many people, where they go wrong is they kind of keep that in. Mm. They have this relatability. But now you compare, like there's another celebrity couple who models themselves after Barack and Michelle, and they want to be them, and that's Harry and Meghan. Yes. So what makes that less genuine, whereas Barack and Michelle, everyone knows, oh, yeah, that's mm -hmm, a real deal. Mm -hmm. But now you look at Harry mm. and Meghan, everybody talks, is it real? Is it this? Is it? No one believes that it's real love, right? Well, I shouldn't say no one, but mm. there's all this speculation out there. No, but there's a lot. There's more skepticism. Yeah. And I think part of it is because Harry and Meghan are always trying to publicize how relatable they are. You know, so how every day they are mm. when everyone's looking I'm like, mm. no, you're a prince. Like, no, you're not really no much as much as you want to try <laughs> that. You're just walking down the street getting, you know, an ice cream cone like everyone else. He's not. But Barack and Michelle can do that because they were. You know, here's the thing I keep thinking about, though. Relationships, whether political or celebrity, they inherently allow the partners to reach new audiences and communicate specific values to their core audiences. I kind of, though, think that the average person kind of does that too, like consciously or unconsciously. Right. Like, okay, I dated a few writers and journalists to horrific effects before I became one. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of realized, oh, maybe this is what I'm, con I'm connecting with you so deeply. But um, yeah, I think, that, you know, that was something that I did. My producer dated one of the popular girls in his middle school to stave off rumors that he was gay. I have oh. a friend who dated someone just so he could get in with a friend group who kept freezing him out. And I mean, it's I dated a DJ when I was in my early uh -huh. 20s because yep. I wanted to be cool. And also I didn't want to stand in line. Right. And have no place to sit at the club yes. or at the bar. Yes. I love to be on the list. Yes. We all kind of do it to a certain degree, I think. I don't know. What do you think about that? Oh, pretty. I love this because I have girls who are uh, college age now. Mm -hmm. I'm known as the mom that you can go to when you have a breakup because I oh. think like a PR person and I'm, I get in the minds of like, <laughs> oh, you, no, you are not following. You are unfollowing him right now because you need power. You're addicted to going to his Instagram. Um, but- I love how you're bringing it back, you know, to the real person. And it's true. If sometimes it's, you know, uh, this person broke up with me. I don't want to date anyone, but I need to show him that I've moved on. So I'm going to date this guy or this athlete. It's no different. Oh you're right. Everybody does what they need to do to satisfy whatever that need is. Molly, where were you in 2009 oh, when I, I know. needed you? Wait, were you going through it? <laughs> where were you? I know. To keep me <laughs> off of Facebook. Public relations is just human relations, but it's just everyone knows about it. Oh, well, Molly, thank you so much for coming on the show. This oh, was fun, right? A treat. Oh, gosh, I could yes. talk to you for hours. Gosh, I could really talk to Molly for hours. Molly McPherson is a crisis public relations manager and a celebrity PR analyst. You can find her at Molly B. McPherson on TikTok. And I don't know if you saw, but PR relationships were in full force this week when Beyonce showed up at Taylor's Eras Tour film premiere. I personally would expect nothing less from the women who brought me Travis Kelsey's glow up, 
and Lemonade. Speaking of Beyonce, her Renaissance tour film is coming out in a few weeks. And coming up, we're looking at the dueling divas at the AMC and how much these films are just cash grabs versus how much of them are about legacy building. We'll be right back. This message comes from NPR sponsor FX, presenting Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill, FX is Clipped, now streaming only on Hulu. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Here's a familiar situation. You have a question about your credit card. You call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone. If only you had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Visit Myrtle Beach. Sun-drenched days, live music every night, and 60 miles of uninterrupted coastline, Myrtle Beach was made for playing hard and beaching easy. Combine that with the aroma of fresh seafood, southern classics, and local low-country cuisine from over 2,000 restaurants. You belong at the beach, Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Plan your trip at visitmyrtlebeach.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor, REI Co-op. For the next half minute, REI wants to remind you that you can't make more time, but you can make the most of it by calling timeout. Timeout on the algorithms, comfort zones, and life on autopilot. REI believes that getting outside is the best way to get out of our routines and instead find new routes. When you're ready, they have the gear, clothing, classes, and advice to get you started. Visit your local REI co-op or REI.com forward slash opt outside. Okay, so Taylor Swift is famously dropping her Eras Tour concert film this weekend, and it's already projected to shatter records. And in a few weeks, my girl Beyonce is also dropping a concert film for her Renaissance tour. Setting up a fall stand war. Which one have you bought tickets for? Oh dear. <laughs> You're putting me on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> we want you to we want you to share your loyalties and open open yourself up to uh, online harassment from either Swifties or the Hive. <laughs> oh my goodness. And no, I'm not running to see the Eras film, but I do wish I could be a fly on the wall watching the Swifties have a great time. You know they are about to lose it. And for all of you trying to pit women against women by guessing who's going to get the bigger box office numbers, shame on you. I'm not going to pledge allegiance either way. I'm interested in seeing both. I'll put it that way. Let's give like an agnostic answer. Interested in seeing both. (laughs) You know, I think given your professional situation, I think that that makes a lot of sense. Why wouldn't you see both? (laughs) K.J. Ralph Miller is the Interim Director of Programs at the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures. And she's also a connoisseur of concert films, which is particularly helpful because today we're answering a big question about these kinds of movies. Are these pop goddesses blessing their fans or robbing them? Either way, I'll be seated. 
Hey, Jay. Welcome to It's Been a Minute. Thanks, Brittany. It's great to be here. Oh, it's so great to have you. So I'm really, really excited to see how the Renaissance film is going to work. I think it's going to be, I think it's going to be fun. I'm wondering, you know, in your professional opinion, how are people supposed to act when watching a concert film in theaters? Is going to a concert film in theaters the same as going to a show? Like when the Academy Museum put on the series of concert films that y'all had at the end of this summer, what did you see from the audience? Very different reactions depending on when the film was from and who was in the audience. Interesting. But what I'm hearing about currently is the Stop Making Sense re-release. People got up at some point and rushed the front of the theater and were dancing in front of the screen, not blocking the screen because it was high enough that high up. Yeah, people yeah, could yeah. stand in front and not block <laughs> the screen. But there were people who got up and danced and kept dancing through the end of the film. Interesting. So like reliving the concert experience maybe they had back then or enjoying the concert experience they never got to have because maybe they weren't born yet or they couldn't have attended that show in real life. Exactly. I do not see myself getting up and dancing in front of the screen and I'm not going to be wearing silver. (laughs) But what if other theater goers around you get up and start dancing? I don't want to be the only person not dancing. That's fair. So when we look at these two upcoming concert films, we have to acknowledge that the Swifties and the Hive are two of the strongest fandoms ever, ever in existence in American pop culture. And, you know, I mean, it's like these documentaries, there's a certain degree of fan service there. I kind of have a theory that when it comes to musicians, fans don't have like a con the way that people who are really into anime or comic books have cons, but fans do have concerts. And for the fans that want more and for the artists who want to offer more, Mm -hmm. they have the concert film. And yet I do worry about how much fans truly get out of this and also how much the artist gets out of it. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know, on the spectrum of fan service to fan exploitation, like where would you categorize where we are today with concert documentaries? It's interesting because even though these artists tour extensively, there is still a financial limitation that comes with buying a concert ticket, even though the ticket to see them in the cinema is $25, $30. That's still probably a third less than most concert tickets. And in that sense, as cinema has always been, it's a democratization and it's Hmm. more of an evening out of an opportunity for fans to engage with artists. I mean, I have my own personal thoughts. Like, I'm excited to go see Renaissance in theaters. But there are also other people on the end of the spectrum who are like, how dare Taylor Swift and Beyonce ask for more money from their fans who already went to go see their concert and da-da-da-da, you did all of this just to put it in theaters? I don't know. I want to talk about the broader history of concert movies. One of the things that I've noticed in looking at kind of like a history of concert films is that in their earlier days, there would be multiple artists. You've just got this stacked lineup of all of these people who are going to be playing for hours and hours and hours. It's something like The Summer of Soul or like Monterey Pop or Woodstock or Jazz on a Summer's Day. And it seems like over time, now the expectation of a concert film has kind of shifted toward a big show for just one act, like either a, like a solo artist or a group. 
we still sometimes have like Summer of Soul like movies. Like I think about um, Dave Chappelle's Block Party is is one of the last great examples that I think of when I think about that. And I wonder in thinking about the concert film in that way, like when do you think artists really started to realize the concert film was also a way for them to assert a marketable image? Oh, that's an interesting question. I think that we can look to the 1980s. We see Prince really taking the reins and creating Sign of the Times. Sign of the Times actually started as a traditional concert film Mm -hmm. when he was on tour in Europe. So he had a camera crew. He had folks capturing him live on stage during this European tour. They got back home. He looked at the footage and he wasn't happy with what he saw. Hmm. It's not clear whether that's because he was unhappy with how he looked. He was unhappy with how it was shot. But he just was not happy with the outcome of that footage. And so he took the reins and decided to contain the performances inside Paisley Park. So at the studio in Paisley Park, hire the audience to be the audience that he wanted to see in the film. <laughs> like really doing like seat filling, like he, I mean, every detail. Okay. Yes. And then he combined some of that live concert footage in the final result. But this is an artist who was meticulous. He was so thorough and he knew what he wanted. And so when you watch Sign of the Times, you could even argue that it's not even a concert film, right? Hmm. You could argue Hmm. that it is... It's like a really long music video. (laughs) A long music... Exactly. It's staged. It's heavily produced. You know there's more than one take going into most of of the the (laughs) takes that you're seeing. But you can say the same thing about Homecoming. Even though we go behind the scenes with Beyonce into these rehearsals and we hear these really, you know, almost whispered voiceovers mm-hmm. that almost like an audio diary that she's giving Yeah, like us. it's confessional, yeah. I had to rebuild my body from cut muscles. It took me a while to feel confident enough to freak in and give it my own personality. They are still ultimately in control of that final product. And when you think about mm-hmm. the fact that the whole title of Homecoming is Homecoming, colon, a film by Beyonce. She made every creative decision that you see on screen. Yeah, I mean, and even like the the technical feat of having every single angle and every single aspect of the performance had to line up almost perfectly so that they could cut back and forth between the two of them. That's almost like pre-planning in the Prince way. <laughs> yes, no, <laughs> If you totally. could have done Sign of the Times over again, yeah. And thinking about this moment that we are in slash heading into this fall winter with all of these concert films, at least with these two really super huge ones, part of the reason that Taylor Swift and Beyonce are doing these films is because the money is so good. The opening weekend projections for the Ares documentary already hitting hundreds of millions of dollars, right? And Taylor Swift got this really generous distribution deal with AMC. and. Beyonce is rumored to have gotten a similar distribution deal. And that's before we even talk about streaming. These concert films are no longer made by outside production teams or like a director who has a vision that they'd like to capture with this artist. 
these documentaries are produced by the stars themselves. I can't help but think of how good of an opportunity releasing these kind of concert documentaries in theaters is for Beyonce and Taylor Swift. In different ways, they're two artists who have really been burned by the music streaming economy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, this music streaming situation at this moment in time is not on the side of artists. And so in a way, I mean, these are two examples of two of the biggest stars in the world. I wonder, though, if this is like charting a path forward as another, just another revenue stream for artists with less name recognition. But it's hard Hmm. for me to believe that because making a film is expensive. It is not cheap to make a film. So I, I honestly see this as like perhaps only the upper echelon is going to have access to the resources. I just can't see it as a viable way forward for most artists. Hmm, hmm, hmm. But also, to a certain degree, though, the production costs of a concert are kind of paid for by the ticket holders. So I don't know. I do think that there could be, like, on one hand, like, it's really expensive to do things the way that Beyonce and Taylor Swift are doing them. But on the other, I could see an interesting opportunity for an enterprising, like, small to mid-sized artist Mm-hmm. with like a compelling narrative if they hired like a smaller team to follow them for a little while. But to your point, it's a much bigger gamble. Like Beyonce and Taylor know that they can get butts in seats. <laughs> Just also Taylor is going to be in AMCs nationwide. And when you think about the capacity for distribution for mm-hmm. a mid-sized artist if it's not in an AMC, is it even going to make the kind of money that they're hoping? That we need to make back. That's a very good point. Okay. So when you look at the eras and the Renaissance movies, I wonder how much do you think this is about making money for these artists? And how much do you think this is about image making? I think it's a combination of both, but I also think that you can't talk about image making without talking about capitalism because like our image, (laughs) you know, so I think it's a combination of both. And ultimately, I mean, these are two women who make money off of their identity and off of their talent and off of their creative output. But ultimately, I hate to say this, but they are a product. It is about money and perpetuating the image in the service of making money. Decades down the line, how do you think we'll look back on this era of the concert film? I think actually knowing the way that each of these individuals have such a huge fan base, right? Swifties Mm -hmm. and the Hive, most of the population falls into one of those camps or both. (laughs) True. I'm wondering how that will be showcased in either of these films. Because Hmm. they are not who they are without their fans. And there's a real recognition of that for both of them. Honestly, I can't thank you now. And it's because of you that I'm able to be on this stage performing after 25 years. KJ, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was so much fun. Thanks, Brittany. This was great. Thanks for having me. That was KJ Ralph Miller, Interim Director of Programs at the Academy Museum of Motion Pictures in Los Angeles.
This message comes from NPR sponsor, Progressive, and it's Name Your Price Tool. Say how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show coverage options within your budget. Visit Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Support for NPR and the following message come from Betterment, an automated investing and savings app. CEO Sarah Levy shares why Betterment believes cash can be a strategic choice. There are times when the market is volatile, when customers are a little nervous about investing. We came to understand that there was an opportunity to introduce cash as part of an investing strategy and to give back yields to the customer. Learn more about high-yield cash accounts at Betterment.com. Investing involves risk. Performance not guaranteed. Cash reserve offered through Betterment LLC and Betterment Securities. Betterment is not a bank. This message comes from NPR sponsor Hulu. We Were the Lucky Ones is the true story of one Jewish family's struggle to survive and reunite after being separated at the start of World War II. The series is for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including Outstanding Limited Series and Outstanding Lead Actress and Actor in a Limited Series for Joey King and Logan Lerman. For more information, visit fyc.hulu.com. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch. On this week's episode of Wildcard, comedian Bowen Yang says you don't have to feel bad for falling short on mindfulness. I get in my own way by, like, over-privileging the present. That's so interesting because everyone wants to be in the present. I feel like being present is overrated. I'm Rachel Martin. Join us for NPR's Wild Card Podcast, the game where cards control the conversation. Hey, Brittany. Hey, Brittany. Hey, Brittany. Hey, Brittany. It's Ashanti calling from Jacksonville. So I saw the news about Jada Pickett Smith and Will Smith having been separated for years and that Chris Rock drama. I, I'm kind of shocked reading that. Like, it's it's crazy. Did, did you see this coming? Oh, Ashanti, Ashanti, Ashanti from Jacksonville. You have brought up one of my favorite topics, which is the Pinkett Smith's personal business. Jada and Will are allowed to do whatever they want. If they want to be separated and not get divorced, as rich as they are, I 100% get it. I 100% get it. Also, like, I could see them maybe being like, we're not meant to be partners, but we live well together and we work together as a family unit. There are many ways to put together a family and I support them doing whatever they choose. However, you asked if I saw this coming. And I will tell you, after going through Will's memoir, I got to the end of it and I was like, I need to hear what she has to say because she's fed up. As you mentioned, we find out that they've been separated since 2016. Now, as somebody who read Will's book, that doesn't fully surprise me because there were several major moments throughout his own story that he wrote in his own words about his life where Jada expressed to him that she was unhappy and she felt like there wasn't enough room in their relationship for the two of them, or maybe even the two of them and his ego. Take, for instance, this one story from Will's memoir that he shares. And he does admit that he was wrong. For Jada's 40th birthday party, he asked her what she wanted. She said she wanted something small, low-key, chill. He decides instead to do this whole big Jada Fest weekend, basically. It's like a multi-part celebration. And 
The crowning achievement, he felt, was this documentary that he had produced about her family lineage. And I mean, he was feeling like, I have given this woman the best 40th birthday party that you can give a wife. He says everybody in the room was crying. There wasn't a dry eye in the house except Jada. And when they got back to their room later, Jada looked at him and she said that was the most disgusting display of ego I have ever seen in my life. I'm not surprised by any of it. Jada, girl, I'm ready for you to bring your truth to the red table so that we can sit around and have a nice chit chat about it. Ashanti, thank you so much for calling in with this question. It was a pleasure to answer and I hope you have a great weekend. If you have a thought or question about pop culture, send us a voice memo at ibam at npr.org. That's I-B-A-M at npr.org. This episode of It's Been a Minute was produced by Barton Girdwood, Alexis Williams, Liam McBain, Corey Antonio Rose. Our editor is Jessica Placzek. Engineering support came from Zach Coleman. Our executive producer is Verilyn Williams. Our VP of programming is Yolanda Sanguini. Our senior VP of programming is Anya Grundman. All right. That's all for this episode of It's Been a Minute from NPR. I'm Brittany Luce. Talk soon. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Discover. Get the service you deserve. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Stream stories from around the world. From sinister suspense to charming comedies and clever crime dramas like My Life is Murder, starring Lucy Lawless. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR.